Well, the choir has awakened us. And if you go to sleep from now on, it's my fault. Thank you, choir, orchestra, soloist, my mind. Let's pray together. Father, what a thrill it is to be in your house. With this, your family. I pray today that you will speak and let me get out of the way so that thy word and thy truth alone might be heard. Speak to every heart. Turn us around if we're going in the wrong direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're studying Romans chapter 8. Many people believe it is the goat of the Bible, the greatest of all time, the greatest word of instruction to us. And we've made our way all the way through the 17th verse, but we're going back and we're going through verse 12 and 17 again because there's so much depth in there. Remember, chapter eight, primary purpose is to understand that those who are in Christ, who are in Christ, they in turn have the assurance, the assurance of heaven. But you have to be in Christ. And chapter eight, shows us how if we're in the family of God, we're in Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance. A couple of verses up front. Let's go back to eight, verse number six. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life. Hold on to that. All the battle that we've been talking about between the spirit and the flesh, the flesh and the spirit, the spirit and the flesh. And here, God tells us that the mindset on the flesh is death. There are many different kinds of death. And the mindset on the spirit is life. And there's many different kinds of life. There is, for example, vegetable life. Photosynthesis, vegetables are alive. They grow, they, they produce something, they reproduce. Vegetables are alive. Number two, animals are alive, but animal life is higher than vegetable life. Animals, operate basically on instinct, on food, on drive, though they can be trained and they can become a companion and a friend, but animal life is higher than vegetable life. Not going too fast for anybody, am I? And then we have that human life is higher than animal life. We can choose, we can project, we can dream, Human life is way, way higher than animal life. But then there is spiritual life, which is much, much higher than human life. And now we get lost here. You know, we're 
21st century people, we talk about spiritual things, ethereal things. We get into Gnosticism and dreams and that which is so intangible. So we move from vegetable to animal to human. We're all with it. But all of a sudden, you talk about a life higher than human life. A lot of us say, you know, I don't understand it. And on Sunday, we talk about spiritual things spiritual things, and we just get lost up in the thin, thin air of spirituality. Let me show you something. I want you to look at this. What do you see there? All right, you see two things. What do you see? Say it. A rabbit. Are you sure? Somebody else saw a duck. Now, does anybody see, how many see a rabbit? How many see a duck? Ducks win. (laughs) Now see, if you don't see it, you see this is pretty clearly, if you look at it, that's the bill, the duck, and the eye. But you look at it the other way, there's the nose of the rabbit and the eye of the rabbit, see? Do you see both now? Everybody see both? So you've got a duck and a rabbit. And somehow in the physical life, we see only one of those, but there's another one there if we have the ability to see it. Now I want to show you another one. This is an old one, Christ in the snow. How many of you have seen that before? Not many. Now, when I look at that, I see only the face of Christ in the snow, but you have to look at it. I remember years ago when somebody showed me this, I, did, I said, that's crazy. I don't see Christ in that. Now I look at it, I see nothing but Christ in it. How many of you see Christ in that? Be honest. Few heaven-bound people. (laughs) All right, let me show you and help you. Squint if you don't see Christ in it. For a long time, I didn't. Everybody saw it but me. I said, oh, something's wrong with me. I I stood on my head. But I want to show you, those who don't see it, like there would be the eye of Christ, the other eye of Christ, the nose. Oh yeah, and the mouth would be here, and the chin. You see the beard of Christ. You see the face of, oh, we got some revelation out there. Yeah, you see the other side of it. John, let me give you this here. You catch it? Amazing, a UT guy with good hands. You never see that. It's a rare, rare thing. But my point, my point is this. Don't miss the point. A lot of times when we live on a strictly human level, we don't see spiritual things. And the spiritual things are the things that last forever. Remember when this old body dies, the soul and the spirit will remain, and this body is thrown aside, and we'll talk about Easter, we'll get a resurrection body when we leave this life, a body that's equipped for heaven, that will be in the spiritual area. And a resurrection body will be a prototype we see in Jesus. So we're talking about spiritual insight. And we come to Christ, we begin to understand that. And what gives us this spiritual quality? It's the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't understand how you can have three. Can you understand that H2O can be ice? It can be liquid. It can be vapor. 
So we understand there are three natures of God Almighty, and those natures perform certain duties, have certain functions, and they overlap. But we have to understand this spiritually. So we go right back to the book of Romans, chapter number 8, verse number 12. He's already talked about the battle between the flesh and the spirit and the spirit and the flesh. And Paul tells us that the spirit has won. And now he says, this is how we live the life. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Christians, we have an obligation. Your translation may say duty. We have an obligation and our obligation has a negative aspect to it and a positive aspect. In other words, we become Christians. There's a negative part of the Christian life. He said, but it is not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. The Holy Spirit has brought us this far, and now we are in the, in the flesh, but yet there's a spiritual dimension to us, and the Holy Spirit is involved in everything in your life and in my life. First of all, in salvation. We heard, are you full of the Spirit? Do you have the fullness of the Spirit? It's involved in salvation. Acts chapter number nine, Paul, Damascus Road, confronted by Christ, struck blind, went to Damascus. No, there he was, blind, knowing that now the one he had persecuted is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Ananias comes over there and puts his hand on Paul's head, instructed by the Holy Spirit, and Paul could see, and it says, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So in salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and fills us with his spirit. Now, I became a Christian, I was about 11, but I didn't understand all this, as some do not understand all this now, but the Holy Spirit comes and enables us to understand things we didn't understand before. Christmas, Calvary, Easter, resurrection, ascension, Jesus at the right hand of God interceding for those who are in his family. So the Holy Spirit was a part of your salvation and mine. Also, the Holy Spirit was a part of our sanctification, Ephesians 5. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? Singing, singing, thanksgiving, appreciation. How we learn to be thankful, singing, thanking, thanking. And then he moves on and says, submission, submitting. And it says, submit one to another. These are marks that we are growing in our word sanctification. Remember that? That means we're growing up, we're maturing. Be full of the Spirit, the Spirit involved in our salvation. It's involved in our growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking, speaking thanking, submitting. And then finally, it's involved in something else. It's involved in our assurance. And you read that in Acts chapter 4. Man, you know what happened at Pentecost? And then he moves from Pentecost, and they're persecuted, and people understood in their own language, and 3,000 came to Christ, and 5,000 came to Christ, and they came and jerked up Peter and Paul, put them before the Sanhedrin, and, and they were bold in what they did. And they somehow let them go and said, don't tell anybody. But they said, how can we not tell people 
what we've experienced and what we've heard. And it says they were full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance. So in every aspect of life, and if we had time, we can look biblically and see that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is involved in all three of these endeavors. Our salvation, our sanctification, our growth in Christ, and our assurance that we are indeed in the family of Almighty God. So we see we have to understand this, and it comes out in a negative way, this obligation. We understand that. And then it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, there's a controversial verse in the Bible. You will die. So here I am. I've received Christ. I've been baptized. I know him. I claim that I'm a Christian. I have the name. But, you know, I'm sort of went back in the old flesh. and I've got the same old habits coming up again. And I confess and. I repent and believe, and suddenly I'm way, away, away from the Lord. And when I came to Christ, I didn't know, I didn't understand. What I really wanted was about $3 worth of God. I didn't want any more than that. About $3 of God. And all of a sudden it says, if we profess Christ and we continue to live with besetting, ongoing sin, this may be the unpardonable sin in a sense that God sometimes, I think, take people who mouth profession and are a million miles from living profession and they just take them out of this world. They just take them out of this world. Because when we're in God's family, Christ is in you, Christ is in me. We don't have a blank check. Now we're in the family. We want to live like a member of the family. Dangerous verse. So there's a negative thing here, and we have to understand that clearly. Then there's a positive part of this obligation. It goes, it said, for verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the misdeeds, the sin in your body, the Holy Spirit helps you and I kill sin. Now, if you had not figured it out yet, sin will kill you or we have to kill sin. You got it? Sin died on the cross with Christ. I know that. But yet, here's the obligation for those of us who are now in the family. We have to be in the business of killing sin because we haven't reached perfection yet, have we? We haven't gotten there yet. I dare say few people here know what a tick writer is. Can anybody tell me what a T-I-C-K writer is? Anybody ever heard of that? Nobody ever heard of a tick rider? How many of you have been quail hunting, hunting in the south or dove in the south? If you hadn't been quail hunting, huh? It's amazing. 1906, I hadn't heard of it this week, by the way. <laughs> in 1906, the state of Texas, the Commission on Animal Health, put in practice a group of hard nosed, Texas Ranger type men who rode horses up and down on our side of the Rio Grande, and they were called tick riders, and they're still there today. We used to have about 62 of them, now we have 55. And they are tough, tough 
dedicated armories, make no mistake about. No street boy cowboys or tick riders. And these tick riders go up and down the border and they look for any animal, a horse or a cow, or even perhaps some rodents, other thing. And they go and the rodents they would kill, but the animals that come across the river when it's low at so many places, they would take them and examine them for ticks. And some of those ticks, uh, the, the fever ticks, they call the red water tick down there. They take those animals, say cows, and they examine them to see if they have ticks coming over from Mexico. And if they do, they deal with a tick and they put them and they dip them, they dip them in a vat, and then they bring them out and they spray them, and then they let a veterinarian see them, and if they are deemed to be tick-free, they brand them as tick-free, and then they, if they can, take them back across the Rio Grande and restore them there on the Mexican side of the border. If those ticks were allowed to get over here in our herds, literally millions of dollars had been lost because they just spread everywhere throughout all the herd. And they suck the blood out of the animals and the animals die horrific death and when it goes to a herd. So therefore, we have these tick riders who ride up and down the border, up and down the border. Does that sound a little bit like sin to you, ladies and gentlemen? You see, when sin comes in your life and in my life, it is like a tick and it sucks life out of you and sucks life out of me and we have to have something. Sin dealt with effectively is sin dealt with radically. What is sin? Basically, it's my running my own life, you running your own life, and therefore, I like the dipping part. <laughs> I love the dipping part. And that's the symbol of baptism, is it not? And then coming out is a symbol of resurrection. And the spray is how we walk in the Holy Spirit. And then the branding says, you and I are in the family of God. We deal with sin because it is contagious. It's simple. You and I, by the Spirit, are commanded to kill sin, or you and I know that sin will kill us. What's happening all across our globe, all across the world, all across our county? What is the result of all that? By the way, I want to say something parenthetically that's very simple. Everybody's worried about our policemen, those who are blue and those who protect us. I would say to everybody listening, one simple thing would eliminate all of this. Simply do what the policemen, the law enforcement people tell you to do or don't do what they tell you not to do and all of our problems are solved. It's not complicated. So therefore, we have to deal in our own lives, we have to kill sin like those tick riders, examine those animals and see that they're clean before they go back into society. You see, that's what we have to do always. You say, well, I don't know what my sin is. Just spend about, it won't take long, three or four minutes before the Lord and ask him, 
man, every time I do that, the answer comes back like, Whew! if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ. So we have an obligation, not to the flesh, but we have an obligation to the spirit. And then we move to the second stanza of this, reminding us once again and again that we're in the family of God. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. We're slaves to sin or we're slaves to trying to keep the law. You receive does not make you slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. Now, we think of adoption in a high level, but in the Greco-Roman world, adoption was in another level more than we can think about it. If someone decided to adopt a son or daughter, by the way, for those who say in the Bible, they always talk about sons, they're not talking about daughters. You have to understand the age in which this was read. Understand it means all of us, it's a generic thing. So when it says sons, it includes daughters as well. So get that straight in your mind as you read the Bible. So it says we're adopted as a son or a daughter. What took place? Very complex. The father of the son or daughter would have to say to the one who wanted to adopt, here's the price, they would agree on it, the deal would be closed, and then they would go back on the deal. Time would pass, they would agree on it, it'd be closed, they'd go back on the deal. Time would pass, it'd be closed, and the third time it would be dogmatic and now that adopted son or daughter would be a member of that family and have all the rights and privileges of someone who was blood kin, a son or daughter who was born in that family. And if you were a legitimate son and daughter by blood born into the family in a natural way, you could be disowned by the father. But if you were adopted, you could never be disowned by the Father. You say, what about Jesus? He, God the Father, God the Son. He was disowned by God. Did you not know that? Did you not remember that? From the cross, when all the trash, your trash and my trash were placed upon him, God the Father turned his back on his Son and disowned him. Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And remember, that's the only place in the Bible where Jesus refers to God as God. Every other time he says, Abba, Father. He was disowned for that moment because the holiness of God cannot tolerate one tick, let alone all the ticks cumulated in all of history. So he had to turn his back and disown him, but we know he took him back in. Jesus said, my God, Abba, Abba, I commend to you my spirit. So when you're adopted, and we're adopted, and look what happens to we're adopted, it's amazing to me. I just read it over and over again. We cry, Abba, Father. Now we can say, Abba, Dad. The spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. How do you know that you're really in Christ? How do you know you're really a son or a daughter of God? It's because the Holy Spirit affirms that in my spirit and my spirit 
confirms it with the Holy Spirit, and that should be for all who are in Christ. It's an affirmation. And we have to understand the function of the Spirit. Remember we've talked about it? The Holy Spirit has a floodlight ministry. The Holy Spirit, if Jesus is in front of me and I am here, the Holy Spirit, I don't look to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit turns light on Jesus and the Holy Spirit primary purpose is to honor Jesus. This remember we said, let me remind you. You don't say, do you know Jesus? Certainly if you're in Christ, we've already dealt with that. Well, do you have Jesus? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Certainly we have the Holy Spirit. It is in your life and my life from the beginning. And now we grow, it becomes more and more powerful. It is that search-like ministry. A word of warning. You go to a church and you hear more than anything else, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. You go to another church, all you hear is doctrine. We need doctrine. We need biblical truth. We have to have doctrine. Both of them are whopsided and not biblical. You see, the Holy Spirit operates always on the basis of truth. Get that always on the basis of truth. And truth is found in doctrine, in biblical truth. And therefore, biblical truth is necessary for the Holy Spirit to operate because the Holy Spirit operates on the basis of truth. How do you know this? Those who wrote this scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they wrote this word of God, and therefore we have to know and properly interpret the word, and then the Holy Spirit can work in and through your life. A few years ago, I talked to a young pastor. He was a wonderful communicator, had all the gifts of communication you would ever want. And I said, look, you're dealing with the scripture in a dishonest way. He dealt with the scripture, he'd find a verse, and he let it say whatever he thought it wanted to say. If it was cute and funny and different and unique, and we'd sit back and say, boy, I've never heard of that before. Man, that's really great to know that. But the problem was he wasn't rightly dividing the word of truth. And therefore, you lead to all kind of crazy heresy and all kind of misconduct. So I said, look, I want to send you to seminary. I will send you. You'll learn how to understand the Bible, then the Holy Spirit will help you to interpret it and you'll be a powerful communicator. He said, no, I'm not interested in that. I, I don't want to do that. I just want to take the Bible that the power of the Holy Spirit lead me. It doesn't work like that, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you that. It takes the Bible, which is truth, and then the Holy Spirit takes that truth and it catches fire and has power. It's not either or, it's always both and. You better get that. If you don't get that, you're going to be messed up about 90% of the time you watch Christian broadcasting on television. Now, thank you for that applause. We've got one sensitive member here. <laughs> now, look at the rest of it. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, we're God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Man, what a wonderful thing that is. In other words, we take the truth of the Bible in our life. The Holy Spirit helps us interpret it. And then we not only have to know it and interpret it, 
The challenge we have is to live it out. Um, heard a guy tell about a friend of his who would never fasten his seatbelt. He'd just never fasten his seatbelt. He'd say, fasten your seatbelt. No, I don't fasten my seatbelt. And it went on. Oh, you don't wear your seat? No, I never wear my seatbelt. And the bong, 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 you know, I pull it and nod it. I don't wear my seatbelt. Went on for a period of time, and then one day he got in the car with his friend, and he put on his seatbelt. And he said, everybody, fasten your seatbelt. And his friend said, what in the world's happened to you? All these years, you never fasten your seatbelt. Now you're fasten your seatbelt. What's happened? He said, well, I had a good friend. A couple of weeks ago, he was in an accident. And he was thrown through the windshield. He lived. And I went to see him to the hospital. And he took over 200 stitches on his face. And he said, now I fasten my seatbelt. So the question was, prior to that moment, did he know that 75% of those who are in an accident have a better chance of living? Did they have their seatbelt on? He said, yeah, I knew that. He said, did you know it's a law that you fight your seatbelt? Yes, I knew that. He said, well, you didn't get new information and you decided to you know, follow the law. What now led you to put on that seatbelt? And he said, by experience, I saw what happens when you don't put it on. You see, he didn't get more information. He just now had some experience. You see, the Bible gives us information, and then we have to take and let the Holy Spirit take that information and plant it in our heart. It has to be mental and emotional with application. That's how we as Christians are to live, ladies and gentlemen. And then the end of this is absolutely magnificent, and we're just going to touch on the operative word here. It says, we're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. G-L-O-R-Y, glory. We're going to meet glory in other places. He's saying here that now we're in the family of God. Now we know what our obligation not to do is. Now we know what our obligation that we are to do. Now we know the inheritance that is ours. Now we know how to distinguish the Holy Spirit gives us light in a darkened world. And now he says we are to share in the sufferings of Christ. We're to share in suffering so we experience more and more of his glory. I don't know about you. I, I'm sorry he brought up suffering, aren't you? I mean, you know, did anybody here think that you and I in our era of influence can make a difference in this broken world and culture and many of our families without suffering? We think that God can use us, it'll be slick and smooth, and everybody's, oh, that's the truth, I'll change. It takes suffering for redemption, and I have a feeling that the body of Christ those who hang in there, they may not be but two or three. They may or not be but two or 3,000, but those that hang in there and stand for God in Christ in this book are gonna know something about suffering in the 21st century. We've never known that much in America. Hang on, it will be coming if there's even a second chance for our United States. And the result of that is absolutely fabulous. 
it says, we may also share in his glory. Hear a lot about glory. Oh, give glory to God. You know how you basically give glory? You know what the word glory means? Doxa? It means weight. It means heavy. You and I glorify God when Jesus Christ in your life, in my life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, makes Jesus heavy to you, makes Jesus weighty to me. And Jesus has great significance in our life. That's what it means. Do we give glory when Jesus counts. We don't keep Jesus on the outskirts of the city. We put him right in the middle of the town. And we take the Holy Spirit and use the Holy Spirit as a grid for everything you do and everything I do. Well, in the business world, no. Especially the business world, especially the family world, especially in relationships. We run everything by through the grid of the Holy Spirit. You'll discover in a practical way the difference between knowledge, oh, I know that, I understand that, I've studied that, and wisdom. The Holy Spirit takes knowledge that we have and tacks on it wisdom. And that's a different dimension. Now we move into the spiritual area of living. That he's not on the outskirts, he's right downtown, this Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is the middle of your life and my life, of decision, the action, of fun and life, and, and everything that comes out. You see, we not only have knowledge and figures out, all of a sudden we've got absolutely the mind of God in Jesus Christ. We have wisdom. See this briefly here, it's, it's fabulous. In the book of 2 Corinthians, one of my, my favorite, favorite passages, verse number 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that's what the choir did today. They turned around. When anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the, is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, the Lord, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces, remember Moses? in the presence of God, had the reflection of God on him, and his face shone. And every time he'd go before the people, they'd say, oh, that's Moses. His face is showing. He was with God. And then finally, the, the, the Shekinah melted, and his, the, his face no longer shone. So Moses rolled veil. So all the people would think, man, I've still got my face shining. I was with God. But he was gone. And now Paul says, when we come to Jesus Christ, look what happens. There is freedom and we all come and our, fa our faces are unveiled. We contemplate the Lord's glory. What is glory? The weight, the influence of Christ in your life and in my life with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. That is a fabulous path. We could spend 10 years on that one passage. Do you see it? In other words, Moses had the reflection of God. We who are in the family of God, see, we've got so much more than we ever calculate, understand, believe, or claim. That's what we got to pick up. We're in the family of God. We don't have reflected glory because Christ is in us, the Christ in you. We have a radiant glory that comes out of us and that is that unveiled face. And the more we walk and grow with Christ, the brighter it becomes. There's a beam from lives. You see somebody sold out to God in Christ when you're with them. 
They don't have to advertise anything. It just overflows with the glory because they've given Jesus Christ the center and the heaviness of their life and the significance of their life. Deep water. Water to swim in. Going deeper with God. And this is just the introduction to the glory that's going to follow. Thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. Available to everybody. The spiritual dimension of life takes the physical dimension and it catches fire as we give him center place, significance. Slowly, sure has been slow with me, slowly, slowly through the process, we begin to give forth light and the glory of Almighty God.